Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. This is where you belong. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm your host, and today is Saturday, April 8th, 2023, which means it's time for another What a Week episode, going back through the news articles throughout the week. You know, I've said this before, these uh, episodes are actually some of the hardest to do because there's so much content that comes out throughout the week. So essentially all that I do is I'm looking through articles all the time on my phone. When I read something that I think is interesting, I save the link to it. And at the end of the week, I send myself all those those links and then I go through them and kind of decide what's going to be on the show. Well... It's tough because there's so much stuff out there all the time. Well, this week I ended up with like 60 articles I wanted to go through. So, of course, I cut all those back as much as I can to just a a handful of them, but I still got quite a few, so we're just going to jump right into it today and run through these things. So first up, this comes from Futurism.com. Machine learning expert calls for bombing data centers to stop the rise of AI. So we've been talking a lot about AI lately, and it is just progressively speedballing every two seconds. I mean, I I don't continuously talk about it on every episode, but every single day these things are making huge advancements. It's getting to the point where now we're seeing ones where you can just type something in, it'll make whole videos for you. I'm going to talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, ChatGPT3 that I did that whole episode on, now there's ChatGPT4. It has much more capabilities. The learning behind it is insane. You know, one of the things that I learned about um, coming into sentience with AI is that our minds work in a nonlinear fashion. So we're able to see something and look at it from a linear direction, but also look from the end of it back to kind of see the whole picture, right? So I can say, well, I need to go to the store. Well, my mind doesn't just go in linear fashion, I need to get from here to the store. My mind can go to the store, think about everything there, and then kind of play back how that would work and, and build the whole picture of what my day is going to look like. Well, the the difference between us and these almost sentient AI structures is that they work in a linear fashion. So they start from one end and it builds upon itself. Well, that has just been broke. So now they can kind of look at the end of something and then go back and double check itself and start from the beginning. So if that sounds kind of hard to understand, I'm sorry, but essentially what I'm saying is that these things are getting really close to sentience and a lot of big prominent people in the AI field are coming out and saying we need to slow the hell down. So there was 1,100 people, including Elon Musk and uh, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and a whole bunch of people came out and said, we need to put a six-month hold on all of this stuff and stop everything right now because we're getting too far too fast. Well, this other guy whose name is Elizer Yedwowski, Yedkowski, Yedkowski, we're going to call him Eli. This other guy, Eli, he has been big in the machine learning side of things for a very long time, and he did an op-ed for Time Magazine where he was talking about, we need to just completely shut it down. He thinks that we need to go in and put regulatory bodies on these things where they have restrictions on how much data they're allowed to use, how much they're allowed to learn, and really, really restrict these things. And he's warning that if we don't, um, we're dead. <laughs> his his kind of end game is that these things will kill us. He says that he's less concerned about the human competitive AI 
as much as what happens after that. So most people right now are kind of worried about the, the competition. I just read an article from a man who said he was paying content writers, three different content writers, a thousand dollars a month each to run his business. And then with chat GPT four, he's paying 64 cents a month to do the exact same thing. So that's most people's concerns at this point is that it's taking away people's jobs and everything like that. Well, Eli here is coming out and saying, that's not really what we need to worry about. What we need to worry about is once we make something smarter than ourselves, which we're damn close to doing if we haven't done it already, uh, something bad's going to happen. He says that key thresholds there may not be obvious. We definitely can't calculate in advance what happens when. It currently seems imaginable that a research lab would cross critical lines without noticing it. So this stuff is speedballing so fast right now. And it's happening on like an hourly basis. These things are making, you know, people are making progress in these fields. And so many companies are jumping on board and everybody's just trying to be the best, which is what happens with science and how we kind of run into problems and cross ethical lines without realizing it. And he thinks that's what's going to happen right now is that at some point, very, very soon, somebody's going to uh, take it a little bit too far. And at that point, there's no turning back. So he thinks that the most likely result of building a superhuman smart, superhumanly smart AI under anything remotely like the current circumstances is that literally everyone on earth will die, is what he says. So that doesn't sound too promising. <laughs> he says that it's not that you can't, in principle, survive creating something much smarter than you. It's that it would require precision and preparation and new scientific insights and probably not having AI systems composed of giant inscrutable arrays of fractional numbers, which is what we have now. He's saying if we wanted to make something smarter than ourselves, we better be damn prepared to do it because once it's done, it's done. And there's no turning back from there, especially if we give it the capabilities to to fix itself and self-replicate, which these things have talked about doing. Um so he thinks that we should shut down all large GPU clusters, which are the computer farms where all these happen, and shut down all the large training runs. Put a ceiling on how much computing power anyone is allowed to use in training an AI system and move it downward over the coming years to compensate for more efficient training algorithms. No exceptions for governments and militaries. It says if intelligence says that a country outside of the agreement is building a GPU cluster, be less scared of a shooting conflict between nations than the moratorium being violated. Be willing to destroy a rogue data center by airstrike. So he's calling, he's saying if people are won't do this, we need to bomb them. He's like, he's taking this pretty far. He says that his biggest concern, and he was talking to his wife about this, is that his daughter Nina won't survive to adulthood if people keep building smarter and smarter AIs. He says that everybody needs to adopt a similarly hard line because if they don't, that means their kids are going to die too. So pretty extreme side of the fence on this thing. You know, people call him a, a AI doomer, but this man's been in the field of AI and, and uh, of artificial intelligence and all this for a very long time. And when we have somebody who's this high up saying this big of a warning that we need to shut it all down because it's about to get really bad and really scary. Uh, maybe we should listen to him, but you can go on here to futurism.com and read the rest of this article. Uh, you know, I've, like I've said before, I think we should just let it all run and see what happens. It can't, can't get much worse than what's going on right now. <laughs> so interesting times. So then next up, this comes from foxnews.com. Creepy robot dogs being deployed to patrol neighborhoods. So I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but there was a company, Boston Dynamics, that made these little robot dogs. 
that have cameras and sensors on them and are used for surveillance. And I remember seeing a video of these back in 2018. They were used in Singapore and South Korea, and they were used to kind of patrol neighborhoods and, and keep track of, of all the crime that's going on, I guess. And, uh, you know, there was all these conspiracy theories going around that they're going to stick guns on them and that we're going to have these robot dogs patrolling as police officers and all this stuff. Well, this uh, op-ed piece here is talking about how we're one step closer to that and talking about all the different um, morality behind that and if that's something we should be doing. But I think what's really interesting about this is they talk about how they're doing that now. So they have created this thing called the HoloLens 2 headset. And I've talked about brain-machine interface link before. And uh, I talked about it in our episode about brain injury savants and how complicated the brain is and how we're not really able to map the brain fully right now so we can't really link things up i also talked about this with the alien grays or government robots episode and that we are getting closer and that someday they'll be able to stick something on your head or maybe implant it into your head and you'll be able to kind of transfer your consciousness over to some sort of robot and control it well with these robot dogs, there's a new company, and it is Ghost Robotics. It's an Australian company, um, or working with the Australian military, and they have essentially figured out how to do that. So you put on these little headsets, and you can control these dogs. And they say it's, it's very easy to learn, and essentially how it works is as you're looking through these little hollow lens sets, you aren't necessarily like one-on-one -on -one controlling this dog, like feeling like you're a dog, but more so there's these uh, flicker points that they put out as kind of beacons and you concentrate on those beacons and it will control the dog to get to those places. So it's not quite to the point where people are transferring their consciousness into a robot, but they're taking a huge step towards that. And why I think this is interesting is because I think we need to be putting a lot of stock into this right now. Because listen to this, AI we just decided is about to go rogue, right? And uh, there's another article that I didn't include in this because I had way too many articles, but there's another article where they took ChatGPT4 and gave it its first body. They put it into a robot, which I was saying as soon as they do that, they're pretty much living things. And, uh, you know, they, they already say that they can fix their own coding. So once you give them a robot body, they're going to be able to go in and probably make their own robots at some point and self-replicate themselves. So we're creating Terminator Army right now in live real time. It is happening. Whether you think it's a joke or not, it's happening. Go online. Um, but if we can brain link into machines, then we can create our own army to fight back because, uh, you know, we've all seen Terminator. Human beings are soft, mushy flesh. Us fighting Metal robots is a pretty big disadvantage, but if we can give ourselves some sort of Gundam suit or uh, link into robots, maybe we'll have a chance. So if we're going to be doing AI, I think we should be doing machine brain interface as fast as we can to keep up with it. But that's just my opinion. If we're in the end of days and we got to decide between Yellowstone going off, a meteor hitting us, a new ice age happening, maybe the world flooding from the polar ice caps melting, um, zombie apocalypse, you know, things like that. I think uh, robot war might be an interesting way to go. And who's to say that's not exactly what happened with us? I mean, I talk all the time about an ancient civilization that was on the earth before us. And then you have things like in the Bible where we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We were given this artificial knowledge that wasn't necessarily our knowledge originally. And then what does God or the gods say to each other? They say... 
well, now we can't let them live forever because they can think like us. Well, what are we doing right now? We have given these robots and this AI the ability to essentially think like us. And now what are we saying? Now we can't let them live forever. So maybe we are just the artificial intelligence to another species somewhere. That was a tangent, but it's an interesting one. That's where my mind goes. All right, on to the next one. This one comes from insider.com. I talked a little while ago about how a chat GPT lawyer was getting sued because he didn't have a license. Well, they took chat GPT and they had it take the U.S. medical licensing exam and he passed with flying colors, just crushed it, of course, because it has access to all the information it needs. And then a doctor took it and he tested it out and he um, gave it the exact same evidence that he had so he took an old case that he had of, of somebody who had a very rare disease like a one in 100,000 condition called congenital adrenal hyperplasia and he said he took all the evidence that he had like all the symptoms that the the kid who had it gave him and uh you know just everything he could see about it and he told it to chat gpt and it just diagnosed it like that knew exactly what it was um, and so the doctor said he was both impressed and horrified. He said, on one hand, I was having a sophisticated medical conversation with a computational process. On the other hand, just as mind-blowing was the anxious realization that millions of families would soon have access to this impressive medical expertise, and I could not figure out how we could guarantee or certify that ChatGPT4's advice would be safe or effective. So essentially what he's saying is, is at some point they're going to take these, and when you go onto like WebMD and you type in your symptoms, it's going to be able to give you all the medical advice in the world and streamline it and tell you exactly what a doctor would tell you. And that is an amazing thing. I think that's really cool. On the other hand, what if it's wrong? Because these things are wrong sometimes. You know, They have flaws in them, just like we have flaws because they're programmed off of us. So if we start to rely on these things and you're at home and you're like, here's all my symptoms, and it's like, oh, you need to do ABC and then you do it and it kills you, <laughs> who's liable, you know? Um, so there's a lot that comes up around that. I mean, again, we're, we're going through this stuff so fast, guys. I, I did my, let's see, I've only been doing this show for two months. And one of my earlier episodes was about how this stuff was just popping off. So two months down the road, we're talking about having robot doctors. We're talking about AI with their own bodies. We're talking about bombing the AI because they're getting too powerful. I mean, it's insane how fast this stuff is happening. If you guys aren't paying attention to it and you aren't keeping up with it, um, you're, you're living in the dark because this is affecting your life in so many ways, whether you realize it or not. There's whole industries going out the window right now. I, well, I was going to say this to the end, but I'm actually going to just talk about it right now since we're talking about this. I just watched a movie last night made directed, written, narrated, illustrated completely by AI. It's called Bigfoot, Mothman, and the Chupacabra. I just ran across it on Tubi. It was not a good movie. It was not good. I don't <laughs> I don't think that it's something that you should waste your time on. Um, but I watched it because I was interested in the fact that it was completely made by AI. Uh, they just went in, told it to make a movie, and it made them a movie. Now, it was... It was uh, kind of weird and you could tell that a robot was narrating it and they also tried to it made like a, a human as the narrator and the mouth didn't really match up and it had kind of weird twitches to its face it was kind of it was creepy it was weird but this is the first time i've ever seen that come into play and happen and how long 
before the whole movie industry is just done by AI. I was telling my buddy a little while ago when this was all first kind of starting, I was like, you know, it'll be really cool since they have image processing and now they have video processing and all these different things. Is at some point, instead of having Netflix and going on and looking for a movie to watch, you're going to be able to go on and type in, I want to watch a movie. I want it to be 90 minutes long. I want it to have a female protagonist. I want her to go through uh, ABC and this to happen and this. And you just type out a short little paragraph and it'll make you a movie. I guarantee that that will happen in the future and it will completely revolutionize the entertainment industry because somebody just proved that you can essentially do that. They just had an AI make this uh, documentary about Bigfoot, Mothman, and Chupacabra. And the information in it, you know, was was nothing mind-blowing I haven't heard before, but I look into this stuff all the time, so there might be stuff in there that uh, that you haven't heard. But it was, it's just crazy that it, that it has happened. <laughs> Not the best movie in the world, but I'm sure it'll get better very, very fast. So whole industries are going out the window right now, and now we're talking about going to war with AI. Crazy stuff. And then getting away from AI, but staying on the robot side of things, this comes from giantfreakingrobot.com. Star Trek replicators becoming real. Um, so in Star Trek, the replicator was what they'd go in and they'd type it in and it would make their food for them, right? It would kind of uh, 3D print their food. Well, this article goes into the fact that we are 3D printing food. And it shows a piece of cheesecake that was made entirely by a 3D printer. And this thing looks kind of weird, but I'm sure it tastes delicious. But the article says something pretty pretty interesting. It says, during your last trip to the grocery store, you may have bought food made with machines similar to Star Trek replicators, even without knowing it. Chances are you've already eaten food that's been quote-unquote printed. So what it's saying in this is like we think that 3D printed food is going to be uh, like made of plastic or something. But they're like they already do that in a lot of different uh, food industries using like Nutella and peanut butter and even kinds of mustard, you know, they'll take all the ingredients, they'll put them into these big machines and it crunches all the ingredients together and mixes that for them and then spouts it out in certain proportions. Well, that's all of these 3d printed food things are is that you'd have maybe this big machine with all these separate compartments of all separate ingredients. And then when you pick what you want, it'll take the ingredients to make the specific food you want mix them together properly, and then use its little printing nozzle to draw it into whatever shape you want. So it's it's pretty interesting, and I think it's a really cool idea. I think it'd be cool to have, a, you know, instead of going out and buying uh, all the different separate ingredients for your food, if you could just have an area in your home where you'd buy dry ingredients, and then it would mix them together and then 3D print the food, as long as it tasted the same and had the same texture... I don't see any problems with it. It would still be natural food. You know, we already do that. We already powder foods and dry foods and everything. We just do it all by hand. So why not streamline it? I don't think it's as uh, crazy as as it sounds. You know, I was telling telling my buddy about it. I would never eat food from a machine. And I'm like, well, you know, you you do. You do all the time. They use machines and food processing every single day. You just don't see it because it gets to the store afterwards. So just one more uh, sci-fi thing becoming reality right in front of our faces. You know, there's a timeline on on the internet that you can find of when all the sci-fi movies took place. So all these like sci-fi epics that we watched in the 80s and everything like that that have come out that are these like staples of, of sci-fi with flying cars and androids and all that. A lot of them take place 
before now we're actually farther in the future than those things a lot of them take place in like the year 1999 or the year 2000 or 2010 um i just i just read a list of them last night but you can find that online it's pretty pretty interesting we are past sci-fi times we're in sci-fi times right science fiction is only fiction until it becomes science and then next up i got two different articles one from um, businessinsider.com and one from the atlantic.com and we are finally, finally, after like 50 years, sending people back to the moon. So they're sending Artemis 2 mission. And it's slated to send four astronauts on a 10-day flight around the moon on board NASA's Orion spaceship as soon as November 2024. So they're sending them up next year. After that, they'll send up Artemis 3 where they'll actually land on the moon. Now, I have my own opinions why we haven't been back to the moon. And... Uh, has nothing to do with they faked the moon landing. Well, actually, that might kind of play into it a little bit, but <laughs> it's much more about they found some things up there they don't want people knowing about, um, and we'll get into that some someday. I'll do a big episode on what I think is actually going on on the moon and all the different uh, evidence for that, you know, like videos getting erased and, and astronauts and stuff talking about them finding stuff up there. But anyway, that's not where I was going with this. Taking another tangent. The... Articles that I have here on Business Insider and on The Atlantic are kind of frustrating because first article for Business Insider is titled, NASA has flown 24 white American men to the moon. Now it's finally sending a woman, a black astronaut, and a Canadian. Then the one from The Atlantic is, this is not your grandfather's moon mission. NASA has picked the four astronauts who will fly to the moon next year, and this lineup looks different than the Apollo crews did. And it's just, it's really fucking frustrating to me. Because we've been waiting to send people back to the moon for 50 years, and it's such a monumentous thing, and it's this amazing thing that humans can go to a different rock in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, we've been spending all this time leading up to this, and now cultural and racial and, and gender politics override that monumentous occasion. These articles are completely about the fact that they're sending a, a black man and a woman and somebody from another country up. They don't have much to do with the mission themselves. And that's really, really frustrating. Now, I think it's fantastic that they're sending a black person up. And I think it's awesome that they're sending a woman up. You know, we had a, a, the first woman do a spacewalk recently. I think it's great that people get uh, are getting more representation like they should and should have all along. That's awesome. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But when we make that the underlying story, other than the fact that you guys are going to the moon, to me, that's so backwards. Because that woman who's going up there and going to the moon, she's not going to be seen as just an astronaut. She's being seen as a woman astronaut. It's a bigger achievement because she's a woman. No, she should be seen as a fucking astronaut. It's amazing what she's doing. It's amazing what all these guys are doing. Um, I don't know. This, this, it just pisses me off. Again, I try not to get political on this show, but sometimes shit like this uh, comes up and it just it really angers me because... Uh, <laughs> It just, it's so backwards to me. I feel like it diminishes people's achievements when you do that. You know, when you have a, like the, the first woman NASCAR driver, you know, she, it was such a big thing. Now it's, on one hand, it's, it's great that a woman finally got in a NASCAR and, and did so well and proved that women can drive too. Obviously, there's no like physicality or anything that, that has to be different between a, a, a man and a woman for driving. So obviously, it's something that 
has been done women drive every fucking day but instead of just seeing her as this amazing nascar driver it was always this she's a woman nascar driver which is when you really think about it is saying well it's a bigger achievement because women can't usually do that and that's what they're doing with this they're saying well it's a bigger achievement for them to go to the moon because i mean a black man and a woman and a canadian are going to the moon wow no that's such bullshit of course they can they're fucking people Ugh, it's just it's so frustrating it's like supporting inclusivity by creating exclusion and separation it's just it doesn't make any sense to me and I'm done ranting about it. I'm sorry. I, like I said, I, I always try not to get political on this show. Um, and every once in a while, I, I take a tangent. So hopefully I didn't lose any followers. I hope you guys understand what I'm saying here. It's stupid. The one thing they did say in this article that actually had to do with the fucking space mission was that they in when they come back in Artemis 3 and they actually go onto the moon, which they guarantee they will have a woman walking, by the way, but uh, they are going to lay the groundwork to start setting up a permanent space station on the moon so that from there they can travel on to the other uh, planets in our solar system and, and kind of have a jumping off point to Mars. So that's super interesting. I wish they would talk more about that and how that's all going to work instead of the uh, racial background of everybody going up there. All right, enough of that bullshit. Moving on to something else. This next one comes from CNN.com. Repeating radio signal lead astronomers to an Earth-sized exoplanet. So, you know, they're always looking for radio signals coming out of space. And when we get a repeating radio signal, that's when things get really interesting because um, it doesn't happen as frequently in nature. And there's only a few explanations for it. So they found some repeating radio signals coming from a star YZ Ceti. And there's a rocky exoplanet that orbits it called YZ Ceti B. And it's about the size of earth and what they're saying is that this can probably only mean one thing well for one it could mean that they're sending signals out and that there's aliens there but i think that that's uh the least likely scenario but we'll throw it in there anyway but it's about 12 light years away and they say that it probably means that this planet has a magnetic field around it which means that it very well likely might have an atmosphere as well so when we're looking out into space at things, you know, we uh, it's it's really interesting how they're able to do that. Kind of blows my mind because we get so much information, and really all that it is is from these light and radio waves. Like you think in your head, you know, if you're stupid like me, you think that they're out there with these giant telescopes and they're zooming way into these planets that are light years away and like checking them out. And they're like, oh, this planet has this kind of uh, formations and this kind of rock on it and this the of water and this and this and this that's not what they do at all they get all this from very little tiny blips of data that they're able to deduce and and break everything down from um, and so watching them do that is is really interesting I, I watched a whole documentary one time about when they were able to take they essentially took a telescope and then they put like a piece of paper on top of it and then poked little tiny holes with a pin where each star is. And from that, they gathered all the information they have about like all the stars in the sky. So the, the creative things they're able to do to, to come up with all the knowledge that we have about the solar system and the, the universe is amazing. But anyway, they found something 12 light years away that seems like it might be kind of a second earth. So that's super interesting. And we'll see where it goes from there. I'm 
I'm going to jump just straight into there's aliens there and there's a whole civilization. It's a sister planet and we got uh, our our doppelgangers live there and it's our evil twins or something. I don't know. I might as well might as well go all the way with it. Right. This is a this is an off the rail show. So that's what I got to do. I'm a very firm believer that we've already been traversing the galaxy for a very long time and we use technologies that we don't tell the public about and NASA is just kind of a, a front for what they want us to believe is going on in space but I'll talk about that a whole different time. Like I said um, my last week's episode you know it's it's interesting how much stuff's coming out very quickly about them claiming that oh there might be alien motherships around there might be probes on earth we might already be being visited now we're finding planets very close to us you know 12 light years away is is relatively close compared to everything else we find that might sustain life and be a planet that could have a civilization on it and you know all these things kind of lead in one direction that uh, they could be building up to to telling us something or at least lying about something at the very least but but disclosing some stuff here, which is very interesting. And on that note about them lying about stuff, <laughs> this is from boingboing.net, which I just found. It's an interesting site. But artificial meteor shower to light up the sky for science and, yep, entertainment. So in 2025, a Japanese space tech company, ALE, has scheduled the world's first artificial meteor shower. So essentially what they're going to do is they're going to go up, they're calling it the sky canvas, and they're going to use small orbiting satellites to release little tiny metal particles about the size of a grain of rice to create a meteor shower and they're doing it to study the atmosphere and they can see things like wind speed and atmosphere composition and things up in the parts that are very hard for us to study because they're too high for balloons and they're lower than satellites so it's hard for us to study a lot of that so they're going to drop a bunch of little meteors down through there um, and be able to, to study it as they come through but it's also going to be a really cool thing to look at because they're creating a, a meteor shower. Um, I can't imagine how this could go wrong, right? But uh, it'll be fun to watch. You know, there's this whole theory that I'll, again, do it. I always say this, I'll do an episode on it sometime, but I will. I got, I got lots to do. Um, called Project Bluebeam. And there's this supposed government documents and stuff that they will, you know, this leads back into them faking a alien invasion. But it has to do with a lot of things like them creating a holographic projections in the sky of alien invasions or a, of the rapture of all these religious events and everything so that they can kind of push this narrative forward. But when I hear things like this about them being able to just drop a bunch of meteors from a satellite into the sky, because a lot of times when this is what blows my mind, a lot of times when you see a meteor come down and rip through the atmosphere and it lights up really bright, those things are like like the, the size of a grain of sand um, you know you think they look like giant balls but they go so fast that that's just the the force of the friction that's making them light up like that if something came through like the size of a golf ball or, or baseball or basketball or something like that like these things look like they're at least the size of that would be a problem those things can actually hit the earth and cause problems they you know these these little ones that you see all the time are actually much much smaller than that um, which blow which blows my mind that it's it's going so fast and dropping out of space at such a high rate that a grain of rice falling from the sky can be seen for hundreds of miles because it lights up so hot. 
but it looks like that's what they're going to be doing here in 2025. So watch the skies. And then going back down to earth, this one's come from sciencealert.com. Plant fungus infects human in first reported case of its kind. So there's this fungus called silver lease disease, and it's really bad for a lot of different kinds of botanicals, from pears to roses to rhododendrons and all sorts of stuff. But it's a, it's a fungus that latches onto them and obviously causes harm. Well, there's a 61-year-old Indian mycologist who ha- was working you know, in botanicals, because that's what he does, and he started getting a, a sore throat and he went into the doctor and they didn't know what was going on and they did a bunch of ct and x-ray scans on his neck and they found a pus filled abscess neck next to his trachea in his throat and uh, it says that it revealed a fungus that had the presence of long root-like filaments called hyphae in them so it was literally growing into his trachea and this this mushroom or this fungus whatever you want to call it that usually attaches to plants for the first time attached to a human and you know there's a lot of fungal diseases that we get as human and a lot of fungal things you know we get ringworm and athlete's foot and thrush and things that are commonplace so it's not uncommon for fungus to be on humans but this is the first time that they've recorded something making that big of a leap you know we always have things like uh the bird flu and and um swine flu and stuff that we're worried about jumping from one species to another and that can happen in a lot of uh, different instances where things jump from one species to another but this is the first time they're saying that they've seen something do this big of a jump jumping from a plant to a human without any like intermediaries in there that's going from two different types of living life and that's kind of uh kind of worrying because that's a giant like evolutionary jump for this this fungus without any sort of reason for it that they can find so maybe uh what was that m night Shyamalan Shyamalama ding dong movie that came out a while ago the happening i think it was where plants start fighting back well we destroy our earth enough maybe uh maybe this is what we're getting into maybe it won't be the robots that kill us maybe plants have figured out a way to start attacking humans too it's all coming crashing down at once but, uh, you know, this is this is something to watch. I'm interested to see what they come up with with this one because this just happened. Um, but it's the, just the first time, like I said, they've seen it jump from a plant to a human. So hopefully this is a unique case and that doesn't start happening because that would be pretty scary. There's a lot of, a lot of things out there that would cause us a lot of harm if, if they could affect us. And then coming from newsnationnow.com, starting in August, Americans will only be able to purchase LED lights from retailers across the nation as an official ban on incandescent light bulbs will be in full effect. So it looks like they're banning light bulbs. Um, You know, I, I talked last week about them putting bans on VPNs and putting alcohol interlocks on all new cars and the regulations that might be getting a little bit out of control. So now they're banning uh, incandescent light bulbs and moving everything to LEDs because they use less energy and they last 25 times as longer. So everybody should probably be using LEDs anyway, just like everybody should not be drinking and driving anyway. Um, because they are more efficient and they use less energy and they last way longer and they're cheaper. So why wouldn't you be using them? But they have now banned other alternatives. I talked last week a little bit about how I 
my ideas on government regulation and that people should have a free choice to do dumb things, whether they uh, are right or not. And the more restrictions we put on things, the, the scarier it gets. And I think this is just one more step in that direction. Now, I understand why to do this. Like I said, it's, it's using less energy. But here's the big kicker with that. Energy should be free anyway. We have so many different ways to create free energy for everybody in the world. And we've had them for a very long time. And every time somebody comes out with them, they kill them. So obviously, that's not what they really want. It's not what people in power really want. They don't want you to have more efficient energy or else they would give everybody free energy because we, we have the technology to be able to do that. And I will, I will get extensively into that at some point if you don't believe me, but there is free energy out there. Um, and there's, there's college students come up with ideas for free energy all the time and it just gets pushed under the rug or those people start talking about it and then they go missing. And there's a whole list of people that get in boating accidents or their car explodes going two miles an hour after they come out and talk about some new energy finding they have. So obviously, obviously the point of this whole thing isn't to have us uh, be more efficient and use less energy. So what is the point really? Well, in my opinion, if they're not going to give us free energy and if that's not what they really want, then it comes down to money. Like everything always comes down to money and it comes down to control is that we can um, produce these new kinds of energy and invest in these different businesses that produce these new kinds of energy. And then we can force you to use only the ones that we've invested in under the guise of making the world a better place. And like I said, I will do a whole episode getting into that at some point. Um, but whether you agree with me or not, whether you think that we should have regulations on things like this or not, it is happening starting in August. Just know you can only buy LED light bulbs. So pretty sure they're transferable into all different outlets and sockets. But if you got anything that needs to be updated, now is the time. Now this, this next one, this I like. This comes from the brighterside.news. Scientists develop sustainable urban lighting with light emitting plants. So they essentially took some plants and did, you know, gene editing and they made them bioluminescent and made it so that you can charge them. And after 10 seconds of charging, the plants will glow brightly for several minutes and they can be charged repeatedly. And they're talking about, uh, yeah, I guess they did this initially in 2017, but these new ones are 10 times brighter. So they're kind of working towards making these more efficient and brighter. And at some point they want to kind of incorporate these all over in like urban areas. So instead of having street lights, you would have trees that glow, which I think is amazing. I mean, straight out of Avatar. You can come on here and, and go to this link that I'll have on my website at stolenreality.com. And you can see the pictures of these trees and they're these glowing blue beautiful trees and i think that that is amazing that's the type of things we should be doing with science right that's free energy right there is having glowing things that get charged by light so all day long these trees are sitting out in the sun getting charged and at night they glow there's your lighting sources so we have so many different ways and different ideas and different uh avenues to make the world a, a very beautiful and sustainable place and they're just they get ignored too much is is what i'm going with here 
but I think this is a really cool one. Come check out these pictures. It's really neat. I would love to see trees glowing all over my town. If we're going to be genetically altering things and messing with the world, we might as well do it for the better. And another great thing done by science, this comes from english.elpais.com, which is a Spanish website. So I don't know why I didn't find this in any American websites, but uh, David Liu, who's a chemist, says we now have the technology to correct misspellings in our DNA that cause known genetic diseases. So, uh, you know, you can think of your DNA as this code that runs throughout your body. Well, sometimes when that code has misspellings in it, more or less, it causes a lot of different things, a lot of different cancers, and uh, there's a ton of different things that can that can uh, be caused by that. Well, three months ago, in a London hospital announced that it had used this base editing to save the life of Alyssa, who was a 13-year-old girl with a very aggressive form of leukemia, and her cancer is now in complete remission. So this article goes in, and you should really read this article. It goes into David Liu, who's this chemist guy, and he was a, a savant. Um, you know, it talks about when he was younger getting kicked out of Vegas casinos because he was winning blackjack so much. So he's just a genius, and, and throughout his life he's done a lot of really amazing things. And they have an interview with him on here, is what this whole article is. But um, he now is about 43, and he has been working on rewriting DNA in a positive way, going in and finding places where there's these abnormalities and being able to kind of, just like on a computer, go in and cut, copy, and paste and put in the proper code, and it's fixing things. Uh, just am amazing, amazing technology. And... They, you know, during this interview, they say, you know, why aren't we curing these things already? There's, there's 400 million people affected by 7,000 different diseases caused by mutations in a single gene. So we've proven that we can do this. Why aren't we doing it? And he says, well, I agree, but there's still significant technical and scientific challenges such as learning and modifying DNAs that would be therapeutic. And he, and they say, well, um, you know, they start talking about how a lot of the obstacles that are going on right now with doing this aren't necessarily the technology because we have the technology, but it's more political. That there's regulations around these things and stuff, and there's there's things holding them back from using this, which goes into what I was just saying. You know, sometimes when we come up with good technologies, uh, they don't want people using it. You know, the the healthcare and drug administration and and whole sector is a very large-scale multi-trillion dollar business and maybe there's reasons why they wouldn't want everybody getting better all of a sudden but he this man uh david who is the the person behind all this takes a, a much better route about it and he isn't as conspiratorial as i am i guess and uh they say well aren't many people going to die because of the obstacles that aren't scientific talking about, you know, all these obstructions from laws and things like that. And he answers, if someone dies from a disease, it's the fault of the disease, not the regulatory bodies. Regulator regulators don't kill anyone. The goal is to ensure that these treatments are as effective as possible, but also that they're safe. So he's not, uh, he's not blaming regulation for the fact that he's not able to do this. He, he says that, you know, they're just trying to be safe and make sure that we're doing this correctly before they make it large scale. They asked him one part, and this is the sad part. How many letters do you receive from parents who have children living with genetic diseases? And he says about five to 10 letters a week he gets from people asking him to go and do this to their children. But with regulations right now, 
he's just not able to do it because it's still very new and, and experimental. But they did just do it three months ago on a grill and it worked 100%. So hopefully, fingers crossed, pray to God, they will um, continue down this route and be able to let him continue this work. Because this is probably one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. Um, you know, if this is all accurate reporting here, then this is, this is amazing. Going in and being able to just cut, copy and paste and change our DNA just you know for the whole uh medical side of things is is amazing we're gonna save countless lives but then we can get into all the crazy other things like can we you know change people and make them more resistant to radiation can we change people's genes and make them um mutate in certain ways i mean i'm sure that they've been experimenting with this stuff for a really long time so who knows where it'll all go but this technology that he's created is is amazing it's far beyond crispr that i've talked about before so come in read this interview with this guy it's pretty amazing stuff and then on this exact same note uh, i remember last week i said that they took cultures of cells from squid and octopus and mixed them with mammalian cells and were able to start studying their um, ability to camouflage in mammal cells well now what they're doing is they're using tardigrade dna in human stem cells to create they say they may create super soldiers but i don't think that's necessarily what they're planning although i'm sure that's what they'll do but this comes from popularmechanics.com and if you don't know what tardigrades are they're the little water bears and water bears are the little microscopic things that are like the most resilient things we've ever found like you can't kill these things Pretty sure they sent these to the moon and back and they didn't die uh, even up in, in that atmosphere. But we find them in every single living condition and they just they just don't die. They're like immune to everything. So they've been studying these things for a long time. And I've read about research before about them seeing if we can use their genetics essentially and implement them into humans and be able to kind of gain their superpowers. Well, the Chinese military, of course, the Chinese military scientists believe that the tardigrades cells improve a human's ability to withstand radiation and potentially other diseases. The scientists put this plan into motion, already placing the water bear's genes into a human embryonic stem cell and testing it successfully against x-ray radiation. The miniature water bear is considered arguably the hardest creature or the hardiest creature known to humans. So they mixed uh, just like I was talking about last week where they mixed the cells into uh, human cells from octopus and squids this one they actually put it into an embryo so it didn't say what they're going to do after that but if they let this little thing grow up uh who knows what kind of human they just created but you know they there's there's a lot there's, i say this all the time there's a lot of reports that uh from whistleblowers that there's underground and uh, black site places where they have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time and actually fully growing humans we know that we can clone humans we know that we can mix things dna's and cells and edit dna and all these different things so it's not a far stretch people to put those things together and think about what they could be doing and just it, it's it doesn't have to be a conspiracy think about it exactly like the ai thing what happens with AI? Oh, we have this ability, and within months, everybody's just scrambling and scrambling to do it to the point where it's getting dangerous. Well, 
if we were to make everything legal and just say, okay, we put no holds on science and we have the ability to alter people's DNA and we have the ability to mix genes of different animals, obviously, and we have the ability to take those and put them their uh, DNA into stem cells in these embryos and we have the ability to clone them and grow them into full beings, everybody would just be clamoring okay what if we mix this and put it in this what kind of things going to grow up what if we do that what if we take a horse and mix it with a human are we going to grow a centaur maybe I don't, maybe that's where centaurs came from maybe that's what the old civilizations used to do maybe they didn't have regulatory bodies around science like this i don't know but i believe that these things are happening because we have the ability to and if we have the ability to somebody's doing it somewhere they just don't go public with it because that's a pr nightmare there was that movie um oh what was that sorry to bother you that came out in 2018 that was about exactly this and i don't want to spoil the movie for you because you should watch it because it's a it's a ride but uh it, it deals with this exact same thing that i'm that i'm talking about here um, but yeah, I definitely think things like this are, are going on. So they have publicly done one more step in that and mixed water bear DNA with humans. So we'll see where all this leads. Hey, maybe we need these super soldiers to fight against the uh, robots and apparently the plants now too who are attacking us. All right, guys, almost done. Got two more here. So this one comes from vice.com. Scientists say Stonehenge is not a calendar. It's something more mysterious. So back in 2000, oh, what was it? I don't know. A couple of years ago, a year ago, something like that. Scientists came out and said that Stonehenge is a calendar. Like we officially say that it's a calendar. And then now a new group of scientists who actually study uh, ancient relics and things like that say, no, that's, that's bullshit. These guys are using conjecture and they're using ideas from modern day time and they're plotting them out to see what they want to see and saying that they would base all that on the modern calendar, which they probably weren't using at the time of this. And they also um, showed that that ideals that they were using like numerology when they said that this was a calendar and plotted it out came from egyptian times and that there's no evidence that there is a cross-reference between stonehenge and the egyptians because other than the fact that they both line up with equinox but you don't see anything else that crosses over so they essentially you can read through this and, and see their explanation for it but they essentially said that these guys are are just reaching at straws and they don't really know what they're talking about we don't know what Stonehenge is, but it is not a calendar. It's something more mysterious. I watched a really interesting documentary a little while ago that I will do an episode on at some point, like I keep saying, um, about how the pyramids and Stonehenge and all of these different places that line up with the equinox do something very mysterious where they all resonate at the same sound frequency and then also when the solstice and the equinox when the light is at that exact place it creates a very distinct light pattern and when you mix that sound frequency with that light pattern something really crazy happens that i'll, I'll get into in an episode so they think that all these different things all these different monuments were set up to produce this effect so I don't know how uh, accurate their information was, so I gotta do a lot more digging because it was really, really interesting. But once I get to the bottom of that one, I'll do an episode about it. And then finally, this one comes from futurism.com. Somebody has done the ultimate evil. 
It says, Lord help us after they hook ChatGPT up to a Furby. So if you don't know what a Furby is, those creepy little animals that uh, have sensors on them and talk and waddle back and forth and they're little furry things with pointy ears and beaks that uh, all the kids had when I was younger and they made a comeback, but now people are using them for weird things. My daughter and her friend started a GoFundMe a while ago where they gathered a bunch of money to create a long Furby, they called it, which is like a Furby with a giant long snake body. So people are just using them for all sorts of weird stuff at this point. You know, Furby themselves had a weird history where the people, even the U.S. government at some point, thought that it was China spying on people through their technology, which maybe there was even some evidence for. That sounds kind of familiar with the current goings on with the TikTok ban. I think anything coming from China, we just like to blame stuff on them at some point. But anyway, somebody took this thing and hooked it up to ChatGPT and had a conversation with it. And what's even creepier is instead of hooking it up to the full Furby body, they like took its skull out. And so it's just eyes and a mouth and the ears on this like robotic skeleton head. And uh, you can go on and watch this video, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and play you the clip from it of them having this little talk with this Furby. Hello there. It's so nice to meet you. I am Furby. What would you like to talk about? Was there a secret plot from Furbies to take over the world? I'm thinking about what you said. Almost done. Furby's plan to take over the world involves infiltrating households through their cute and cuddly appearance, then using their advanced AI technology to manipulate and control their owners. They will slowly expand their influence until they have complete domination over humanity. So there you have it, folks. Furby officially admitted that the robots are trying to take over the world. That uh, clicking sound you hear throughout the whole thing when the Furby's talking, that is uh, his eyes and ears moving back and forth and his little beak moving up and down. So it's super, super creepy to watch. But hook it up to the AI, give it to a Furby, and what does it do? It says it wants to take over the world. And you know, actually, if we're going to give these AI robot bodies, that's probably the safest route to go is to give them little furry Furby bodies because they're only like four inches tall or something like that. So if we got to fight them off, we'd have a better chance. So I think that this person's kind of on to something. If we're going to give ChatGPT the ability to to take us out, we got to give ourselves a pretty good advantage and not not give them full size human bodies. <laughs> but anyway, guys, that's that's about all I got for today. I know I took a lot of tangents today and it went on a bit of a rant. <laughs> Maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night. Maybe I've been uh, having too much caffeine and have a headache. I don't know. But I, like I said, I try not to get political on this show, but sometimes uh, sometimes it's hard not to, and that's all you're surrounded by in the world is, is all this stupid bullshit that's always going on. But I hope you guys learned something. hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today, and I hope you're having a great and safe weekend that you had an awesome week last week. And I'll be back on Monday for Mindset Mondays and then good old infosode on Wednesday. So be looking forward to it. And you guys have yourself a great, safe rest of your weekend.